0: Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world.
1: Welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Tosh, joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Wood. This is one of those conversations where I wish we had recorded... The pre-show band.
2: <laughs> yes, we got a couple characters in here Me that... Uh, thinks, uh, are. Uh, uh, oh, You know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a couple of great people in here. I want to introduce Mary Faulkner. Mary, you want to say hi to the audience? Say hi, uh, audience. Who you are? Who are you?
0: Who am I? That's a really deep question. I don't think we have enough time for that right now, Mike. I'm a senior advisor with IAHR. We help organizations make good choices about business transformation, HR transformation, and everything in between.
1: And we're also joined by Matthew Stalick. He's an associate professor at St. Norbert College. Matthew, welcome back to the show. We've interviewed you here before.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be back. And you are shaping the future of American HR, right?
3: That's a sad commentary on public education, let alone private, but yes, supposedly that is my job title. So I follow both of you on Twitter very closely, actually, closer than
2: you realize. But I want to let you know that these two are some of the biggest pop culture aficionados out there. So my first question to you is, what is your favorite HR movie?
0: Well, it's clearly Office Space. Office Space is the only HR movie. True story. (laughs) I used to make my teams watch Office Space if they had never seen it before. I had a team at a past organization, and it was full of people who had never seen it. And so I booked a training room and said we were having a team meeting for two hours, and we watched the movie.
1: (laughs) What's the lesson you wanted them to get from that?
0: That this is ridiculous about how we have managers talking about, you know, like, Hawaiian shirt Friday, or (laughs) the fact that Milton never gets his cake, or, you know, we fixed the glitch as opposed to actually firing the person (laughs) who needed to get fired. And just sort of, you know, I was in learning and development at the time. And one of the big lessons also was watch the language that you use. I mean, listen to all the ridiculous business speak that's in this movie and how many people are making fun of it. If I find that in your training classes, people will have the same reaction. Plus, it was just a really great way for everybody to have a good time at work.
1: <laughs> you know, Matthew, in your teaching, are you teaching people how to do TPS reports? That's the first thing we cover in the <laughs> syllabus. That has
0: to be TPS one.
1: <laughs> now, in all seriousness, let me ask both of you to comment on this, and this can be as serious or as unserious as you want. I always think that Hollywood, our general pop culture, is teaching us often lessons, sometimes positive oftentimes negative. What's pop culture out there teaching us wrong about how we should be treating our colleagues as humans in HR? Any thoughts there? Any?
0: I think there's an element of the savior mentality. Hmm. I watched the first few episodes of New Amsterdam. It's not a plug for the show. They didn't pay me anything. But I thought it was kind of interesting. The thing that really stuck with me is that the guy that they bring in to kind of change the culture and everything, all he asks is, how can I help? That's all he goes around and says, how can I help? How can I help? As opposed to saying you have to do this. And that's great. It's a great way to talk about putting more power to the people who actually do the work and showing them that a leader's job is to remove obstacles. Yet the element of it is him fighting this battle alone. And it's just sort of that hero mentality. And what I would hope to show is that as you get few small wins, more and more people join into it. And that doesn't always happen. And it's not always a happy ending, right? Sometimes the first person who comes in and makes the changes gets fired. And then it's the next two or three people who come in and do the same changes that it finally takes place. So those are just some of the thoughts that I have around that.
3: Matthew, anything to add there? Our college this year is doing a theme of technology and its impact on culture. And certainly I tend to throw in pop culture in there. And so there's concern, for example, having your phone on the table immediately diminishes communication because you're constantly checking, you're looking over there, you don't have that connection that you normally do. There's a rise in cyberbullying. And it's had a almost a very negative tone towards technology. And I'm sort of saying, has it really changed from 35, 40 years ago? If you talk about clicks and silos within technology today, you had Ferris Bueller. And the secretary at the high school talked about Ferris Bueller transcending 60 different subcultures within the high school. That even if we're having this kind of conversation in person, when I was growing up and I woke up for breakfast, my dad was at the table, but the newspaper was out. It wasn't suddenly we were all Dorothy Parker at the Algonquin (laughs) round table having these deep conversations. (laughs) Are we necessarily blaming the tool versus just this is nature,
2: yeah, and it can't be commonplace I mean one of the things that we do at work human in that we're constantly busy. And Tuesday for a lot of us has become like a nonstop meeting day. So when you're in these nonstop meetings, you're trying to get your work done at the same time. So you have your laptop out in front of you. And at sometimes it's viewed as, oh, look how smart that person is. They can multitask. But if I'm trying to have a one-on-one conversation with someone and the laptops in front of them and they're constantly glancing over there, that's not going to work. So now in a prediction here, hot take coming. (laughs) I think that As we move into the future, there's going to be more of an emphasis of when someone puts that laptop down, oh, maybe they have everything together. Maybe I should take my laptop away. So I think we're going to go back to more kind of like personal communications, hopefully, without the phones and everything.
0: I think that's only going to happen, though, if a business changes the way that they expect work to get done. So if you have meetings all day and yet you have to meet a deadline and you're going to get in trouble because you didn't get your work done, of course what's going to get rewarded? You paying attention in a meeting or the fact that you actually got your work done? So if you want to change the way that people interact in meetings, A, make sure you have fewer meetings unless (laughs) you actually really need it. And B, don't set unrealistic deadlines that force people to make that choice. If you are forcing someone to choose between human interaction and meet a deadline or you're in trouble, they're probably going to try to meet the deadline first.
3: Mm -hmm. And there's still distractions going on that is taking your attention. We're here supposedly in a relatively soundproof booth that you can hear a busker in the halls going by. (laughs)
0: This is no statement against work humans quality. No.
3: It's glass, so we see people walking by and moving and it's catching our eye. Very hard to have 100% direct listening going on 100% of the time. You actually sound like my wife right now. (laughs) Well, we are in the age of distraction. And that's a very very real,
2: real scenario. It's not easy with the whole meetings thing. Something that people have been trying to solve for so long. Steven Rogelberg, he's speaking here this week, has done a lot of research on it. But we're just, you want to take them away, but then you still kind of need them a little bit. So I think there's some work that needs to be done there, but we're all trying. Yeah, there's a time and place for it. But there's
1: how many books are out there about how to do it right, you know? (laughs) Still obviously a problem. Matthew, you are uh, teaching our future HR practitioners. Should we uh, be optimistic about our future there?
3: (laughs) (laughs) We want to go into the whole generational thing. So I've Uh, been a professor since 1994. I've taught at Ohio University. I taught at Mississippi State, now at St. Norbert College. 18-year-olds to 22-year-olds are 18 to 22-year-olds. They have on their mind, in class, for the most part, getting laid, where's the party tonight, (laughs) who's going to buy the alcohol. The emphasis isn't necessarily on learning all the time, but I'm also in a room with 35 to 40. Luckily, it's smaller class sizes, and you're going to have some who are just there to be there. There's going to be some who are very dedicated, hardworking students. You're going to have a vast diversity across those 18 to 22-year-olds as there are between an 18-year-old and a 65-year-old. What they want from the workplace, and certainly when they come to class, they want a safe environment. Am I going to get sick from co-workers, let alone students? Do I have to fear for my safety crossing campus? Or if I go out at night, these are universal truths. And so, from a future standpoint, what was happening in 1994 is still true in 2018, and I hope will still be true 10, 15 years from now. Probably fair to say that the 18 to 22-year-olds you're teaching now are much more comfortable
1: and
3: ingrained with technology. Do you think
1: that bodes well for the future of HR?
3: Again, it's a misnomer. When I was 13, I got a TRS-80 as my first computer, (laughs) again, where you had a a cassette tape player that you had to push play, (laughs) load a cassette, push play, and it took five minutes to load a program.
0: Absolutely. Star backslash boot. Cable was
3: coming in in 1980. I'm showing my age. But again, the technology is the technology of the day. Is it more comfortable with the technology of the day? Of course. But that was just as true 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I would...
0: I, <laughs> Stumps. I love it. I'm Your just reading is <laughs> you,
2: you were you just rocking my world right there because like, I would say, yes, that there is more comfortable with technology, but you're right. I mean, back when I was a kid, I had a Walkman. I had all... You know, people that are more technology inclined are going to seek it out anyway mm-hmm. to find out what the latest new best thing is, so... And there's been a lot of talk, and I roll my eyes whenever I hear about millennials and stuff, because people don't realize that millennials are buying houses. They are. They're 38,
0: 39. Yeah.
2: I mean, I was born in 82, so I'm like right on the edge. Um, He's just pushing his age. Did you uh, notice that? Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. it's not a good thing. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but like, so there's all this generational divide, but it really doesn't exist as much as people want to make you think it does.
0: A lot of it is so tied into where you are in your life right now. When I talk to people about recruiting or whatever it might be and the terms about generational and you have to recruit them differently and everything, and I just say, listen, if you're talking perks, you're talking benefits or what I want from a job, I probably have more in common with a 25-year-old single person than I do with a married person of my age with kids. I don't have kids. We have a dog. But we travel. We do all that. Daycare is so far from I could care less. You're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, trust me. I'm aware. (laughs) So, but you don't try to target me because of my quote generation. It's give a variety, let people pick and choose. You just have to be aware of where people are in their life. If you're changing careers, you're going to have much different needs. You could be a 55 year old changing careers and have the exact same desire as somebody coming straight out of college. I want to learn. I want an opportunity to advance. I want an opportunity to be mentored. All of these things are similar between where you are in your career. So I do roll my eyes at the generational thing. Now, are there differences in ages? Absolutely. But I think it's more tied towards where you're at in your life versus when you were born.
3: And certainly there's the old saying, the only difference between men and boys are the price of their toys. And certainly, <laughs> that is so if I had the kind of income I had when I was 13, the amount of technology I would have bought at that time would have been phenomenal. You've seen pictures of my house. I know. <laughs>
1: We've well, so, we I mean, talked for hours about technology and how that <laughs> affects our ability to be humans in a workplace, mm-hmm. so we don't have time for that. Mary, I do want to ask you about shared purpose. Another important idea and thing we ought to be thinking about, probably related to some extent to... How millennials, for instance, we've been talking about them uh, interact with their workplace. Talk about shared purpose and why that's so important.
0: Well, so in order for a company to be really, really successful, everybody has to be aligned. And so a strong culture is an aligned culture where everything, how you measure it, how you work within it, how you reward people within it, all of those things, if they're working towards the same aligned goals you will have a culture that's very strong. Now that culture can be good and that culture can be bad, but it's going to be strong. So I've worked in organizations where the culture was incredibly aligned, but it had a bad reputation of being a tough culture to work in. And yet there was a shared purpose. You get enough people who think the same way, you're going to be very successful whether or not you think they should be or not. I mean, Silicon Valley is a bunch of shared purpose. Now the purpose might be to make a lot of money, but everybody's sharing in that purpose. So when you're recruiting especially for nonprofits and especially for public sector you are trying to tap into that sense of purpose because it's not going to be the highest paid there'll be some stability but not always and there might not be as much chance for advancement because people tend to stay a long time so you're tapping into that sense of purpose i worked for a water utility for a number of years and every person there felt very strongly about the fact that without that organization, the people in our community would not have clean, safe water. So they took it very, very seriously, their jobs. And when that water main breaks at 3 a.m. and it's negative 12 degrees outside, there's no amount of overtime that's going to get you out of bed to go and fix that water main. It's the belief that it's important. So shared purpose is very, very important to organizations. Anything to add there, Matthew?
2: Nope. Mary's very eloquent. Yeah. You have to believe in what you work for. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you don't want to be at a company where they have a different set of values or purpose than you do, Mm because that's just going to eat you alive.
0: Well, I once worked with a VP at this place that was a very challenging culture. He always said it so well. He said, you are never, ever going to work somewhere that you're 100% aligned with the values unless you work for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're going to be aligned with yourself, hopefully. But the trick is finding one and understanding what's your breaking point, at what percentage that there's misalignment with values are you just going to have to leave? And as companies grow and change and leadership grows and change, that number is going to change too. So you might've joined an organization with which you were maybe 75% aligned and it was okay. But over the course of time, now you're 20%. And that's when you start seeing people kind of lash out, have behavior problems, or just leave. So values and having that shared sense of values, it's never going to be 100% perfect, but you do need to know what your breaking point is.
1: All right. Time for one more question. I'll ask each of you to, to quickly address this. What's the most important thing an employer can do to
3: work human? Matthew, what's your thoughts? Listen to the employees and understand what they want. Foster that culture of respect and authenticity. All right. Mary?
0: I'm just nodding because I agree with that. I also think that if you're going to ask for feedback, act on it in some way, close the loop Don't just ask and say, what can we do different? And then take it and ignore it. If you can't act on it, explain why. If you can't act on it, but it's going to take a while, explain that. If if you're going to be transparent, be fully transparent or else don't be at all.
2: Bottom line communication. Yeah. Back and forth. I think a lot of organizations
1: think the act of asking for feedback is important enough to not worry about what actually is fed back. Exactly. <laughs> We're
0: checking that box. Look at us. It's a mm-hmm. box checking
1: thing. Yep. Yep. All right, guys, we are unfortunately about out of time. Matthew, should anyone want to connect with you and learn more about your work?
3: Where do they find you? I am at aka Bruno on Twitter or at Matthew.stolic, S-T-O-L-L-A-K, at snc.edu. All right, Mary, how do people find you?
0: I am at Faulkner 43 Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter.
2: 42 was taken. <laughs> Actually, there are
0: an amazing amount of people with M. Faulkner. I'm just saying. And you can reach me at mfaulkner at ia-hr.com if you want to email me. And I'm also on LinkedIn and all the interwebs.
1: All right. Mary Faulkner, Senior Advisor at IAHR, and Matthew Stalick, an Associate Professor at St. Norbert College. Mary, Matthew, it was great to have you. Thanks so much for stopping by and joining us. Thanks Thank for you. having us.
0: If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019.